Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Coach Josh. I want to officially welcome you guys and gals out to another live Q&A with yours truly. My goal is to help uh, answer you guys' questions from the Word of God, from experience, and just from common sense wisdom. So I hope you guys and gals are doing exceptionally well. If you're watching this live, do me a big favor. Share this broadcast out to as many people as possible. But if you're watching this later or you're new to the channel, I'm going to introduce myself. My name is Coach Josh. I'm here to help you make sense of life. I'm also here to help you grow spiritually for God's optimal use. I do these Q&A lives um, periodically, multiple times a week to give you guys an opportunity to make sense of your life. So feel free to subscribe, hit the bell, all that good stuff, and join our Unpluggers community here online. If you're watching this later and you are a subscriber and all those, what's up, Autumn? See y'all tomorrow. And all of y'all been um, um, listening on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and now Spotify. I want to say thank you all for listening. Hope you guys are uh, enjoying those uh, the word of God from those areas. And if you like to listen to these messages, feel free to subscribe one of those areas. You got almost 300 or 400 messages there that you can um, learn from as well. So let's get to the chat. Autumn, what's going on? See you tomorrow at school. Good evening, Tasha. Michelle Miller, what's going on? Tanika, hey, how you doing? Nicole, what's going on from Atlanta? Hey, coach, what's good? What's up, Miguel? What's up, family? Aries, what's up? What's up, coach? Josh is from Instagram. Hey, I can't even pronounce that last name, but what's up, fam? I probably know you, but I just can't. Can't connect right now. Aline, what's going on? Jennifer, hey, glad I caught you live. Thank you for watching, says Jessica Reed. How do you, co oh, <clears throat> we right here at the questions. Jessica said, listen, I'm here, coach. I'm ready. You're going to answer me today. And let's get to it. Jessica Reed says, how do you commit all your plans to the Lord, even the small ones? How do you know when God wants you to move to a new place? Great question. My wife and I, um, our Bible study was on that scripture. I believe it's um, Proverbs chapter 16. It says, commit your ways to the Lord. Commit your ways to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. And so this is fresh on my mind because we was really processing the importance of committing our whole lives. And let me answer your question specifically. It says, how do you commit all your plans to the Lord? Um, good question. There's another scripture that says many are the plans in a man's heart or a woman's heart, but it's the purpose of the Lord that prevails. We live in a culture where we think that we're smart enough to plan our plans. Um, we believe that we are wise enough to be able to navigate our course, but it's important for us to make it a habit. Keyword, make it a habit of acknowledging God. The Bible says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and then your path will, your, uh, he'll make your path straight. There's a process for, for a clear, straight path. Number one, you got to trust the Lord with all your heart. <clears throat> That's one thing you have to ask yourself. What areas in your life do you not trust God in? Because if you trust God to do what he does best, then you will let him do what he do best. But many times we want to plan away from God because we know that most times God is not going to give us the things that we desire or he's not going to give endorsement to our plans because we're desiring these things carnally. So the best way to make sure that your plans align up with God's purpose for your life is to make sure you know what the word of God says about what you endeavor to do. Number two, you got to audit your heart to make sure your motives are genuine. God knows why you want to move. People may not know why you move, but God knows why you're making the move. So the best way to make sure or to, <clears throat> to set yourself up to uh, make sure your plans within the purpose of God is to really see what the word of God says. Number two. What are my real motives? And number three, am I ready for this next level? 
Okay, so how do you commit all your plans to the Lord? By number one, making sure that you trust him with your whole heart to make sure that you do not lean on your understandings or somebody else's understandings first, but you endeavor to seek the wisdom of God. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of all wisdom. Wherever you lack wisdom in your life, that's probably an area where you lack reverence for God. You got to revere God in every area because if you reverence him as the all-knowing, all-seeing entity or a person, then you will respect his viewpoint and you will respect his guidance, but most people plan according to their selfishness, not according to God's word. I'm not saying that's you, but what I'm saying to help you is you got to make it a, a, a pattern, a habit to ensure that you acknowledge God before you make plans. Every time I make a decision or anytime that I'm in a process of making a decision, I, I've made it a habit for, for years now where I creatively brainstorm with God. I, I, I spend time, I pray in tongues, I get in the word, I steal myself and I and I've practiced that that in my life to such a degree to where I know that most of my plans to the best of degree, I won't execute on it until I really sense the peace of God and I let God set the platform. So I hope that help. But let's get to the second part of the question. How do you know when God wants you to move to a new place? That's a great question. He'll begin to ruffle the nest. And let me make sure I make that clear. Ruffle the nest means you either outgrown the place or it's time to fly to another place. He begins to make things uncomfortable. Sometimes when we get comfortable, that's the moment you should almost expect God to move because God is going to try to make sure you get out of a comfortable place and some uncomfortable so that you can grow your faith. Now, I, I'm not God, so I don't know all the nuances in regards to your life. But like I said before, if you can, if you make it a habit of acknowledging God in all your ways, if you make it a habit of building a relationship with him that's such that's such that's so thriving that you're able to really uh, vibe with God. Like the thing that I'm glad that I did growing up by the help of the Holy Ghost was to really get to know God and get to know his voice, get to know his patterns, to get to know how he how he moves in my life uniquely. So the reason why they really want to go too deep is because the way he operates with me may be different than you, but it all has the same foundation, which is a personal thriving relationship with God where you begin to get to know him and how he moves in your life. And then everything else will be made clear. But practically, question you have to ask yourself, do I trust God with all my heart? Am I leaning, predominantly, do I lean to my own understandings or do I lean on God's wisdom? And uh, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean on to understand it. But do I acknowledge God in all my ways? If you make that a practice, you make those things foundational truths in your life, the crooked path will be made straight in your life, Jessica. Hope that helps. Great to see you too. Oh, let me scroll up. A lot of questions already. Thank y'all so much for joining. It's an honor. It's humbling to know that God will put, um, to utilize me to do this for you all. And also that you guys trust the Holy Spirit working through me to help you. Lizzie says, great to see you too, Marday. Sorry. Sorry. Lewis says, hi, what does it mean when a guy doesn't pursue, but believes in a woman pursuing him? You let that man grow up. You know, that's 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 a man that's probably a young man that's probably grew up in a culture where everything was given to him, uh, where he feels like he's a king or he has the wrong idea of what a king is. Um, God, a God fearing man is a man that hunts. He's a man. I wouldn't even say hunt. He's a man that pursues. He's a man that goes and gets it. He's a man that's uh, 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 full of responsibility. He's a man that is not afraid uh, uh, to move uh, in the things of God. He's a man of faith. And that man, if he knows that God has uh, uh, placed you on his heart to pursue, he will. So 
Don't waste your time, Lizzie. Don't waste your time with a man that wants you to pursue him. You women do not pursue men. That's just not how it is. You cripple the man's pursuit. Women should trust God that God will send a man to pursue him, her. And um, and that man has to be built up into a mature place where he understands what a real man is. And a man is an initiator. A man is a, a leader. And a leaders do not leaders lead pretty much. That's what I'm trying to say. So if a man is wanting you to pursue him, don't waste your time. Keep it moving because that man's still a boy. Next question. Hi, coach. I have a hard time trusting people after being betrayed so many times. How do I overcome this and learn to trust others? I really want to be married someday, but I'm still very young. 21. Let me start there, Ryan. You're 21. You're in an age of your life where it's time to heal. It's time to mature. And it's time to be submitted. And what I mean by submitted up under somebody who God sends in your life to learn and glean from. Right. So don't don't get so caught up at your age. You're 21. That's a great time. I always tell young people at 20 and a late teenage years, early 20s, do not worry about making your life or establish your life in your 20s. Just learn, 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 grow, 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 heal, heal, heal. Now let's get to the healing part. <clears throat> I have a hard time trusting people after being betrayed so many times. How do I overcome this and learn to trust others? Let's start there. Um, I struggled with this too growing up. Abandonment was one of my uh, main downfalls. It was my main struggle. People abandoned me. People rejected me. People left in my life, left out of my life. And I used to uh, be, my self-love, my self-care wasn't there. I, I, I always looked at myself as, am I the reason? Don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not sitting there saying I was perfect. I'm not sitting there saying, well, I'm never going to uh, give that illusion. But what I am saying is I began to realize my value. The moment I began to realize my value, the less likely I found myself either betrayed or hurt from betrayal. What I mean by that is sometimes when you begin to value yourself, you won't be you won't welcome everyone as your friend. You won't date everyone. You're very selective. You're very exclusive. You're, uh, you're very <clears throat> strategic. And so the more you value yourself, you value attracts value. So if you on a low value standpoint, you're going to attract low value things. Don't get me wrong. High value things attract low value things. High value things track low value, but high value people don't accept low value mindsets or low value individuals. So I'm not sitting there saying that you want to attract low value men or low value people in your life, but the people who have <clears throat> the right mindset or have a good sound understanding of how valuable they are to God and how valuable they are to themselves and how valuable they are to people. Let's break that down. When you understand that you're valuable to God, that God sees you as beautiful, that he fearfully and wonderfully made you. When you begin to gain your self-esteem, your self-confidence from the most high, the individual that knows you better, you know yourself, the individual that, that, that package inside of you, all your creativity, you walk with a greater confidence. Then you begin to value yourself. When you know that God values you, then you begin to value yourself like, wow, somebody of that's why I call him the most high. He's the most high because it doesn't matter who's over you or who's higher up the totem pole to you. Their view of you shouldn't even matter to you above or trumping God's value of you. So as he's the most high, he has the highest opinion of you. And if he sees you as righteous, if he sees you as his beloved, if he sees you as a son or daughter in God, that should change the way you view yourself. Now, when you value you. 
And you, that means you'll begin to eat right. You'll begin to work out because now you have a sense of meaning. You have a sense of purpose. Human beings wasn't designed to gain their meaning from created things or created people. Their value and meaning is in the creator God. It, th the value of a painting is not in the eye of the beholder, but the value, the value of that painting is in the painter, the one that established the painting, right? And so the same thing is with you. When you begin to value you, then you begin to understand your value to others. Now, most people ain't going to be able to recognize your value, and that's on them. So you don't get distracted by people who don't recognize value. But what you understand is I'm too valuable to somebody else. Like right now, I'm too valuable to my wife. I'm too valuable to my family. I'm too valuable to y'all to be out here wasting my time with people who don't recognize, appreciate, or know how to handle that value. So when you get betrayed, your mindset doesn't train change because you can't because you recognize that person has a recognized value. I always get this analogy. A million dollar painting will always a million dollar painting is a million dollar painting even if it was overlooked a million times. Just because a person doesn't recognize the value of sudden something doesn't change that thing's value. So when you know that your ultimate value comes from God and you're priceless, then you won't put a price on you. And then when you know that you are priceless and valuable, you now dictate how you engage others. That's why you got to heal mentally. You got to go all the way back to where this low self-esteem or concern of value began and begin to forgive those people, let those people go and begin to establish new thought patterns in your mind in regards to what the word of God says about you being a righteous in God, about you being a son and daughter, about how you are beloved by him, about how much he fearfully and wonderfully made you. And as you begin to utilize those scriptures within your repertoire and confession, then your mind will become renewed and you will begin to see who you really are. And when you, in the moment you begin to get into this river of, of true value, man, it don't matter who betrayed you. You know how many people overlooked me? And, and, and But you got to also make sure you don't get so caught up in trying to obtain value to make people who overlook your value recognize your value. No, you don't live, you don't build value because of them. You don't live to try to prove your mom wrong, prove your dad wrong, prove your betrayers wrong. You live life to make God glorified and to ensure that you fulfill your purpose. So you have true healing is when you do it when you do everything going forward for the right reasons. Most people think they're healed because they're productive, but they're not truly healed because they're still producing to try to prove their betrayers wrong. So how do you overcome this and learn how to trust new people? You got to make sure you trust God, trust yourself. Don't trust. I ain't talking about trust yourself for sanctification. I'm not saying trust yourself for perfection, but trust <clears throat> in your skill sets, believe in your value. And then when new people come, you audit. Just because a person comes in your life, you don't have to entrust your whole self. The Bible talks about it. Jesus would not entrust himself with everyone because he knew the hearts of everyone. See, the Holy Spirit can let you know immediately who to trust and who not to trust. Everything boils down to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. And he'll lead and guide you into all truth. And he'll reveal to you who you should trust going forward. But you got to go with that flow. And the flow comes from forgiveness. Flow comes from healing. And you got to make sure you do your part with that. People going to betray you. People going to overlook you. People not going to recognize your value. But but do not allow that to determine your value. Go to God. Find your value in Him. Find your value in yourself. Find your value to people. And then you will then you will be able to know how to delegate your your time, your resources, your mind to other people based upon the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Hope to help you, Ryan.
What's up, coach? What's up, gourmet jet? Vicky says, Hey, oh, hey, Josh, how will I know he is the one God sent? <clears throat> it will have God's stamp on it, but you have to know God to know his stamp, right? You have to know God to know his seal. You have to know God to know it's from him. We want to know, and I'm not talking about you, but just hear me walk with me. We want to know what God has for us, but we don't want to know God. When you know God, you will begin to recognize what's from him. It's like what I said in the last video, real recognize real. <clears throat> if you study the real, you will begin to know the difference between the real and the fake. When you know God, you'll be able to know uh, 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 the significance of someone. What I mean by significance, you'll be, because this goes beyond just knowing if a person's the one. Significance means Ah, this is a familiar presence. This is a familiar fragrance. This ain't no cheap cologne. This ain't no cheap. This is the divine, the divine fragrance of God. This because I spent so much time with God, <clears throat> I recognize like when you when you study people, you can tell who their mentors are because they begin to reflect their mentor. They begin to reflect who groomed them. You see what I'm saying? Jordan and Kobe. You see what I'm saying? You begin to recognize the grooming of of mentorship. And when you are familiar with God, you will begin to recognize significant people who got that divine fragrance about them. And you'll begin to say, you've been in God's presence too. And you'll begin to see God connect the dots. I, I, I wish I can give you five or seven steps, but I, I, I can. But, but it all begins with becoming familiar with God for yourself. Because when you know God for yourself, you begin to recognize who's from him. And then, but that doesn't mean just because that person have a significance. Significance doesn't mean they go to church. Significance doesn't mean they talk God. They talk Bible. Significance means they have a, a purity about them. They have a genuineness. They have a, 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 like they've been with God. Like they, 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 they know God for themselves. That's what I'm talking about. But you may have a few guys that come like that, but God will let you know, but you have to let God flow. You have to let God let, put everything together. God will confirm it to you. Don't worry about it. You don't even have to worry about it. God will make him plain to you. God will make it so plain that you can't shake it. God made it so plain about my wife. There's nothing. I don't care what a devil says in my mind. He can't shake that I know this is the person that God has for me. He can't shake it because God made it so plain. And God makes it so plain so that when y'all go through challenges or y'all go through arguments or y'all go through life, you can't, you ain't going to leave. It doesn't matter what me and my wife go through. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't even matter what may come in the future. We are anchored in the fact that God confirmed this and God's confirmation will keep y'all firm together. You see what I'm saying? Because you know for a fact, where shall I go? Who else should I marry? When a man finds a wife, he finds a good thing and obtain a favor. She is the one that holds my only favor. Women, there's no woman on this planet who has the favor that God has packaged inside of her. And when you respect that and understand that, you won't accept everybody because not everybody has God's full favor for you and not everybody has God's grace for you. You see what I'm saying? You, The person God has for you, you're going to have the favor for and the grace for. Only God can match that together. You don't even know who you have grace for until you're with them. You don't know who you have the favor for until you're with them. And let God do it is what I'm trying to say. All right. Nicole, is it a sin to date a man who has been divorced? I just studied this. <clears throat> so I'm, I'm still trying to process the theology of it. 
Um, but I think the Bible was talking about uh, a man and marrying a woman has been divorced. But that, that was more cultural. That's still evident today to some degree. But um, but I'm still studying that. So bear with me on that. I don't want to give you advice on something that I haven't fully studied and really understand for myself. Is it a sin to date a man who has been divorced? Um, let me let me get in the word on that. I, I, I don't think so. Uh, because it just depends on how that person was divorced. You know what I'm saying? And I think the reason why God wants to protect people, because if a person makes it a habit of divorce, he doesn't want you to marry someone who makes divorce a habit. Divorce, the divorce mentality comes from, it depends. If a person is a quitter, if a person is a quitter, that person only is marrying. They, they say, the statistics say that a person who has been divorced is more likely to be divorced again. And I believe that's the, that's what God is trying to, I'm not, let me take the, let me, I'm still studying that, okay? But what I but the wisdom I can give you is you just gotta under you gotta really just seek God about whether or not you supposed to be with that person, all right? But here are some clues you gotta be a, a, a red flags about. Number one, is this person a quitter? What what caused their divorce? What did this person contribute to the divorce? Did this person try to make it work? How 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 exhaustive was his efforts into making it work? Was he just quitting it because of his own issue? That's a lot of stuff that you have to understand before you even date. You shouldn't even date <clears throat> anybody or pursue anybody or be pursued by anybody without the comp without the uh, push from God. And so what I need for you to do is to really ask those questions and really fill out like, yo, what, what contributed to this divorce? Because if a person makes it a, a habit of divorce and he's a quitter at heart, then you're going to be caught up in the same divorce situation. Divorce people who 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 got a quitter's mentality, they go into a marriage with divorce as an option. You see what I'm saying? So you got to be careful with that. But I'm still studying that because I uh, people have been asking me questions about that, whether that was a cultural thing that the word of God was talking about, or is this something that permeates throughout now? But um, I don't I'm not fully finished studying that. So bear with me on that. But in the meantime, <clears throat> find out what contributed to that divorce and 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 sense with the Holy Spirit if it's BS or not. Because anybody can tell you it was her fault. If he's quick to say it was her fault, it was his fault. <laughs> anybody who's quick to make the blame, it was their fault. Adam, it was the woman you gave me. Eve, it was the serpent that you made. If you can't take full responsibility, I can't trust you. Hope that. I'm glad you caught me live, Jennifer, too. I'm glad, sis, family. Let's keep going. <clears throat> what boundaries should you draw until you're... Okay, let me make sure I ain't skip nobody. So I don't want no props. I don't want no smoke. What boundaries, <clears throat> excuse me, what, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> thank y'all so much for joining me, get this out to as many people, share if you like, comment, I want to know what you're getting from this, what boundaries should you draw until you're married, do you give yourself to the person you're courting with the intent to marry 100% in any area, you give 100% when the pastor says, I now pronounce you <laughs> husband and wife. Let me make this plain. That was a joke, but it was real. All right. What boundaries should you draw until you marry? Protect yourself at all costs. Anybody can renege. Anybody can bounce. Right. But if you are with the one that God has put you two together. Make sure you guys have accountability. You know why? Because the devil hates marriage. 
This world system is against the purity of marriage. Marriage is not held in high honor. And so as you're getting married, the enemy is going to try to come in through different wedges to try to get some uh, toxicity, some issues in there to kind of separate you two because he knows that y'all two are being put together by God. The boundaries you should have as you're courting the one that God has confirmed for you is to make sure that there are spiritual disciplines, <clears throat> to make sure there's accountability, make sure that y'all have counseling. My Oh, man, the counseling my wife and I went through were was, was valuable because the, our pastors were married for four, are married for 40 some years. So what we thought we knew, we took back to the drawing board like, wow, we are so glad we had that accountability. Because it helped us with the warfare. It helped us with the preparation. It helped us with so many things. So the boundaries you need to have is to make sure no sexual things are crossed, to make sure that the word of God is your boundary. When y'all begin to grow together, the word of God has to be the fence that keeps y'all together. That's why a lot of people, I don't really throw away religion. Let me make sure this is going, I'm going down the path. You need religion for relationship. The Bible says pure and unadulterated religion is this, to take care of the widows and the orphans and to, be, and to remain unspotted from the world. So when people want to throw away religion, <clears throat> they want to throw away structure. But every couple, every individual needs structure. We're not talking about the impure religion. We're talking about pure religion, which is to take care of the widows in their need and children in their need and to remain unspotted from the world. So just like when my wife and I got married, we had vows. There was structure within our relationship. There needs to be structure in relationship. So when people look at God, <clears throat> we live in a culture where people don't really know structure and boundaries when it comes to relationships. So when they talk about relationship with God, they don't want no, we're not talking about religiosity or religious we're talking about the religion that God established, the rules and the boundaries. What I mean by that, when the word of God becomes your boundaries, you know for a fact I need structure within this relationship to keep the relationship thriving. That's important. So when you have the word of God as your boundary and you have accountability as your support, then you'll begin to navigate at a pace that's productive and conducive for y'all to grow, to be prepared for what's beyond it. Let's go to the second part. Do you give yourself to the person you're courting with the intent to marry 100% any? No, you can't give 100% of your money right now. You can't give 100% of your time right now. You can't because y'all not one flesh yet. You still a single person. You're, you're going to be, you're always single no matter what, right? When you get married, you're married. But as a single individual, <clears throat> let me separate the two. I'm going, I'm going too far. You're single until you're married. Then you become one flesh. Then y'all become whole and one. So until you get married, you're still a single person. You got to still make sure you're practicing what you're practicing, that you're preparing like you should be preparing, and that you make sure that that you're protected. Because just because someone is, what I'm trying to say is, don't give yourself to someone 100%. That's just not wise. It's not wise because that person, you don't never know. You give yourself to a person six months before you get married, that six-month time period, he still may be maturing in the area. She may still be maturing in the area. And if you give your 100% to someone who hasn't fully matured, not, not that, full maturity is when we glorified in God, but when I'm talking about maturity as in ready to be married, there were certain things I learned 
in the last six months of my singleness that I'm glad my wife didn't give her herself 100% to because my mind wasn't renewed in the area that would that would give her the security and stability that she needs going into marriage. So when you have went through your counseling, you went through your preparation and God has circled a date for y'all to get married and y'all are married, then God would then, now you, now you have no choice but to give yourself 100% to somebody. If you ain't ready to give your 100% self to somebody, stay single. That's what I'm trying to say. So if you're courting someone, as God confirmed, you still don't give your 100% self to somebody. The first part of your question is, um, the word of God should be your boundary. Make sure you have good, sound accountability to help pace y'all as y'all grow together. Hope they help, Maya. Tasha Bell says, how do you help a man that is struggling spiritually and emotionally? This is my fiance. Hmm. Is it a struggle or is it a problem? Now, that's what I mean. This young man is your fiance. He's not your husband, right? If this young man is going through a patch of season where he is struggling, this is the time where you send him to his accountability. You are, you are not his helpmate right now. You are <clears throat> a woman he's courting, right? Supporting a man means I'm here to pray with you. I'm here to help you the best way that I can. But I think you need a man right now. When a man is struggling spiritually or emotionally, a woman who's not his wife cannot support him. He needs to have men in his life that he can go to. Now, if this man does not have a man to go to, then I think you may want to take your time before you get married to him and let him overcome this struggle. Because what you don't want to happen is to struggle into marriage with that struggling still happening in your marriage. Because he is, if a man who is struggling spiritually and emotionally is not fit to lead right now, he's not. God didn't give Adam, God didn't give Eve to Adam when Adam was restless. He gave Eve to Adam when he was at rest. Now, if he's struggling because of, of, a, of a lost in the family or struggling because of being laid off, that's natural. That's normal. So you support by praying for him, by strengthening him, by encouraging him, but 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 making sure, hey, man, there's only but so much I can do right now because I'm still single. What I need for you to do is to go to your accountability partner, go to your pastor, go to a mentor and get that out your system before we get married. And do not let a man, because a man is going to try to say, well, well, I need you to do more. No, no, don't get sucked into the trap because when a man is struggling emotionally and spiritually, if he's struggling with his spirituality, when it, if he's struggling with his faith in God, you got to back up because you don't want to follow behind a man who is unsure about whether he should follow God. If he's struggling emotionally, you got to back up a little bit because you don't know uh, how far he goes within his emotional swing. Right now, you got to take notes to see how he's handling this as information going forward on how he how he responds to difficulty. So this is a great time to learn him. It's a great time to learn how does this man handle struggling in his faith, struggling in his emotions. That would give you the intel that you need to say, okay, well, let me, I don't know. Right now, if he's struggling, I think this is the time where you guys say, hey, I think you need to go get help. I, need, I think you know, need to go to your accountability. I think you may need to go to uh, pray to God and see what, where God wants to lead you, whether to, well, whether whoever your accountability is, so that he can get over that struggle. Struggle is a strong word. 
Now, if y'all was married, then you wife, wife. But if y'all are in fiance mode, do not allow him to suck you in into marriage, hoping that you will be his healing, his help. But only God can help him when he's struggling emotionally or spiritually. So the advice I would give you is to have a conversation with him and say, hey, man, how are you doing? Who is your accountability? Have you talked to someone? Here, go to God and find out what God wants, how he wants you to help. Say, this is all I can offer you right now. And uh, and I think that we should slow things down until you really know where you are spiritually and emotionally, because I don't feel comfortable to marry and do not try to save this man. Do not try to don't, don't you can't do it. You're not Jesus. You're not equipped to be able to help this man heal in the deep areas of his life. You are a help mate. I help my mate. I'm not that I'm not the sole source for this man. Hope to help. I got time for two or three more questions. I'm done. There is someone keeping secrets from me and I've prayed to God for them to be revealed. Knowing will help me move on what to do. I don't want to find out in 2020. Hey coach, there is someone keeping secrets from me and I've prayed to God to be revealed. Knowing you keep, you keep doing what you're doing until it's revealed. Don't even think about it. Don't even waste your time thinking about it. You keep doing you because, because whatever they're keeping from you, is what is what it is. God will reveal in his timing. God will do whatever. You never want to put a, a date on something because if it's not according to God's will, disappointment is inevitable. So, and if it's something, if it's something that you can ask, the thing is, it's better to ask than assume. So if you go to this person and say, Hey, what's up? That was that was the oh, that was the that was the hype, Josh. Let me let me give you the biblical. Go to that, go to God first. God, this is bothering me. I need to know this. And if you haven't even had a conversation with that person, God opened the door for me to have a conversation with this individual so I can know what to do. I don't want to go into 2020 like this. So God, I'm going to take these steps. I'm going to go to you. God, give me, set up the stage where I can be able to have this conversation. And then when, if God opens the conversation, go talk to that person about that secret and see if they, they give it to you. If they don't give it to you, keep it moving. Keep it moving. It depends what the secret, secret is. So email me if it's something like dire, like, uh, life and death kind of stuff. Email me um, and I'll see what I can help you with on that for sure. Autumn says, oh, the, oh, the children, the children will got quite. How do you know when God is trying to lean your way? The babies, the baby's asking coach a question. How do you know when God is trying to lean your way? He already leaned your way. The fact that you asked that question, God is working in your life. You know what I'm saying? Um, God cares about you. God loves you. He has a purpose for you. And if he's leaning your way, what I mean by leaning your way, he 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 is already involved and attentive in your life. All you got to do is grow in that and get to know get to know him a little bit more. Hope to help. Let's keep going. I got to get out of here pretty soon. Oh yeah, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Freedom from lust and impurity. Got a question, fam? Hi, coach. Thanks again for sharing with us. You're so welcome. This is what I love to do. Fasting and prayer tips. Uh, Curtis, I think that's a question. Freedom from lust and impurity. Um, freedom is a mindset. When the mind is free, the body is free. The life is free. When the mind is free, the life is free. You have to go all the way to the conception of that lust. When did this lust begin? When was this lust conceived? When was this lust brought to me? When was this lust um, heightened in my heart? Um, lust and impurity is a mindset that has been conceived by influences and conceived by vulnerable incidences, has been conceived from intrusion on vulnerability, 
and and you really have to begin to process. See, the mind is a machine. How you work it will determine its mastery. You see what I'm saying? How you work the mind will determine its mastery. We master the wrong things. Our mind is a machine. It will master things. It, it will master impurity. It will master manipulation. It will master whatever you treat it as. And if you treat the mind as a machine for God to use, you will begin to condition the mind, train the mind to begin to think in a way that when you speak, things will begin to occur, that you will begin to uh, um, have the right kind of mind, have the right kind of thoughts. And when you begin to look at things like God wants you to look at them in regards to lust and how to see things, because God has the original viewpoint of everything. God, there, God has a way that he wants you to see everything. And the more you get to know God, you'll begin to see every woman as a daughter of God. You'll begin to see every woman as a sister in Christ, as a believer. You'll begin to see uh, uh, the the ugliness of pornography. You'll begin to see the ugliness of fornication or adultery or any kind of perverted lifestyle. You'll begin to see it and you'll be like, you know what? Because and you know yourself, you will, you will separate yourself from anything that's going to hinder you from growing in deeper fellowship with God and, perf- and, and growing into fulfillment. You see what I'm saying? And then you'll begin to say, why am I wasting my time with this lust and this pornography and this sex? Why am I wasting my time with all these different things if it's keeping me from fellowshipping with God? Because sin produces condemnation. Condemnation produces separation. Separation produces anxiety. Anxiety produces uh, uh, um. Uh, uh, addictions. You see what I'm saying? And so when you begin to see everything the way God wants them to be seen, you'll begin to separate yourself easily from things because you know these things do not add value to God and it doesn't add value to my purpose because I see the sin for what it really is. That's how you help yourself to get freedom and lust and impurity. See things the way they were meant to be seen. And the only way to see things like they were meant to be seen is to go to the creator of the thing that you're seeing. And then you will find freedom in that. Fasting prayer tips. Good question. Um, Man, y'all be hitting me with some haymakers, man. Stuff that I, I be trying to go four to three to four minutes per question, but it ain't working. Prayer, man. Prayer is a conversation. Simple as that. Prayer wasn't meant to be as deep as we have made it. We have made prayer um, in monologue form and not dialogue form. When I talk to God, I talk to God like I talk to my wife. I talk to God like I talk to my friends. I talk to God like he's a person, but a person of great reverence. You see what I'm saying? Um, There's people that you're cool with, that you revere, and there's a way you talk to them, but it's still dialogue. I'm not going to... there's a conversation I have with my homie BD that I don't have the style of conversation I have with Brandon is not the same style of conversation I have with Brittany because of her position. She's revered differently. They're both revered, but they're revered differently. She's my wife. I can't joke with her like I joke with Brandy. See what I'm saying? Because there's certain sensitivities, there's certain um um um, makeups about her that that may not translate from Brandon to her. The same as with God. There's a greater reverence for God. I'm not just gonna come to God like being impure and joking and whatever. There's a reverence, but that reverence doesn't keep me from having a conversation. There's a healthy connection I have with God that makes prayer normal, that makes prayer natural, that makes prayer fun, that makes prayer something I run to, makes prayer a resource, makes prayer like, yo, God, and everything I talk to him. I'll be in a car rent. I'm like, God, what do you think about this, man? God, what do you think about that? God, how do you feel about this? God, what's on your heart? (laughs) God, that was funny. God, why do you make turtles like that, yo? God, I'll be watching some of the show. I'll be looking at sloths. God, really, God? You made, you made sloths? 
You see what I'm saying? So there's, it, prayer should be from relationship. And the more you get to know God, the greater the conversation becomes, the greater dialogue. And you need that prayer for weaponry, for, for warfare. Now, practically on how to pray. <clears throat> I have these four R's. And in my new book that I'm writing right now, I put seven R's. And I can't remember all of them. Let me pull up my, my notes for my uh, book right now. Give me one second. I want to help somebody. This is how I pray. And you don't utilize all these all the time, but um, it helps. It helps me. Uh, let me find my my, my book um, that I'm working on now, On the Mind. Ah, I wish I can give y'all the title, but I can't. Let me find this real quick. Uh, all right, here we go. <clears throat> Here's the R's. Y'all still there? Y'all still with me? Yes, I want to view these later. Okay. The the 10 R's, coach. Coach, 10 R's? All right, bear with me. The 10 R's is this. Y'all still with me? It's release and rest, read and respond, rejoice, repent, request, relief, retaliate, restore. <laughs> and I'll stop there. This is what I do. Prayer is, it starts the night before. It starts with the last conversation. The prayer of tomorrow fuels itself from the prayer of the night before. So when I say good night to God, God, yo, I appreciate you, man. I releasing things. Release and rest is important because it sets you up for a greater conversation tomorrow. You're never, we were not designed to carry things into our sleep. God created us to have sweet sleep, the word of God said. God wants us to get rest. A restless person is a useless person to some degree. So every night you have to make it a practice to release to God your cares, release to God your concerns, to release to God and rest. The release and rest then sets you up for the next day to be sensitive enough to read and respond. When it comes to prayer and talking with God, we're talking when you start your day. I just don't jump in. Yo, God, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I want. No, no, no. I did that last night. I released it to him. I'm reading God. I'm reading God. Stillness. I wake up still. No music, no podcasting, no nothing. I read God. And how and what you do in reading God will determine how you respond to him. God may send you straight to uh, uh, relief. Relief means relieving other people. God may send you to rejoicing. God may send you to go read the word. You, I used to be like, start off with rejoicing. That's cool. But you got to start off with reading God because God may want to send you a different direction. And reading God shows that you're open to what God wants first. So I'm reading God. To say, God, God, when I wake up, God, whatever's on your heart, put it on mine. Lead and guide me today. Thank you, Lord. Go brush my teeth, shower, wash my face, do whatever I got to do. And then I get into, and the next thing you know, I begin to feel God's heart. I begin, I begin to flow. Sometimes when I start my prayer conversation time, God may be put my God may put my mom on my heart. God may put my nephew on my heart. God may put my sister on my heart. And then see if you just start off requesting, you start off repenting, you start, you start, we can't be robots with this. We have to read God. We are humans. He's a person. 
So, so we just can't jump now by habit, by default, I rejoice first. Mostly most of my prayers are rejoice first, rejoicing first, because when I read God, there's nothing that he wants to put in there. I just thank God. I praise God. And then that leads me into the rest of the flow. When you read God, you'll know how to respond. Now, when it comes to praying with words, after you have read and responded, God, this is the format that I will help the babes in Christ or people who's growing in prayer. This is what you do until you get there, until you perfect the read option for the sports junkies. Until you perfect the read option, here are certain plays you go to first. Read option in football. Well, this ain't no football podcast. But before you get into the read option with God, here are certain set practical things that you can practice now to uh, make your prayer life potent. Number one, you start off your prayer rejoicing. If release and rest and read and respond is not in your repertoire yet, you're not comfortable with it yet. If all else fails, start with rejoicing. When you wake up, God, I thank you for the roof. I thank you for, I ain't got no rain on me. It may not be the best roof, but I got a roof. You step out of bed, God, I thank you for my legs. And if you're in a wheelchair, I thank God for my arms. You don't have no arms, thank God I can see. If you can't see, thank you, God, I can hear. There's always something to be thankful for. What rejoicing does, it it, it magnifies God in your heart. It gives you a real reality sense of God, which will then put you in a a place of of wanting to be renewed. So you begin to repent. You begin, the things of your heart that are bad comes to the surface. Because when you are in the heat and presence of God, where the rejoicing of the Lord is, and when the praise of the Lord is, the fire in your soul boils to the impurities in your heart comes to the top. And you begin to confess those sins. You begin to repent. You begin to open yourself up to be renewed in those areas. And then from repenting, then you're able, after you done rejoice, after you done repent, now you're able to make requests. If you go request first, because it's something about, it's something you begin to request accurately when rejoicing and repenting is first, because then your heart is settled in the right place. You're like, God, you're right. But sometimes you're talking to God, you're right. I ain't ready for that. And God ain't even say nothing. But because I rejoiced about it and because I began to see my heart and repent, I began to begin to say, you know what, God, I'll, I'll ask you this another time. God, I'll talk to you this about another time because you're, I can already feel that I'm not ready for this. Request then leads to relief. Relief means praying for others. Don't be selfish. Pray for other people. God, throughout your day, God, just put people in my heart that you want me to pray for. I'm open. Then you start getting to retaliate mode. Depends on where you're at in your time of day. If you got a longer time to pray, then you get into the devil. I need you to bring everything back. I counsel everything. This is what I do when I get in the car. Retaliation is when I get in the, when I get in the whip. I cover my house. Every time I go outside, I touch the door. This house is covered. My wife is covered. My family is covered. And I get in that car. Devil, everything you have stolen, you have to return it back to me. I cancel every I cancel every plot and scheme. I cancel every a weapon that's being formed. It will not prosper against me. If a thousand fall at my left, 10,000 my right, it won't come near me. I walk in the authority of Christ and everything that Christ has for me today will be mine. Anything that may have been taken from me from 10 years back that hasn't gotten back to me, I need that returned retaliation. And then make sure that rejoice is on your heart every day. But when you're reading God, you pray all day. God, what's on your heart? You vibe with God. That's how, that's a lot more stuff. But you know, coach is very systematic about his stuff. But that, but that, but that, but until you learn the read option with God and you become familiar with God, uh, rejoice, repent, request, a relief and retaliate. And then rejoice throughout the day. 
and then you'll you'll stay sensitive to to what's on God's heart. Um, <clears throat> hope to help. I know there was a lot of points, but the book will be coming out soon. We're working on some things now. Um, man, I almost said a title, but uh, but the book's powerful. It's about the mind, um, and it's ninety five percent done. Just waiting on a few things. Hope to help. Okay, let me see if I got time for one more. Oh man, I've been 47 minutes. I gotta go. Hey, Kosh. Uh, hey, jo- hey, coach. <clears throat> uh, I can't skip Michelle. Michelle, she's faithful. She always watches. I can't skip her. How to deal with offense, not taking things personally and rejection in the proper way. Great way to end this. And Josh, I'm gonna get the okay, Josh. I'm gonna get Josh the last one. He got my namesake. Gotta hit look out for Josh. Uh oh, the wife said amen. Ooh, coach preaching good. Michelle says, how to deal with the fence. <clears throat> hmm. Examine your heart. Offense that's dealt, offense that's dwelled on, offense that is dwelled on means that the person that caused the offense, caused the offense, has too much weight in your life. Or you're insecure in that area. Either that person has too much of an influence on you or you too insecure in that area. You're going to be offended. You can't escape the rise of an offense. You can you can control the effects of an offense. The Whatever caused the offense, you can control the effects. But if you if that person has too much influence in your life or you're too insecure about that area, then that offense is going to flood into your life. You're going to be in your feelings. You're going to be caught up in all that. So the real question, Michelle, is you have to understand is, is that who in my life is overly influential in me that everything they say, I'm allowing them to offend me? Or what are the things I'm so insecure about that if a person even puts that word in a sentence that has nothing to do with me, I'm offended? That's where everything begins is what is the conception? There's three C's I want you to remember, Michelle. The conception, the contributors, and the cycles. The conception, everything has these three things. Conception, contributors, and cycles when it comes to things that we're being healed from. The devil wants us in cycles of torment, cycles of anxiety, cycles of stress, cycles of impurity, cycles of lust. He does that by conceiving it, by conceiving it, by marrying, by by bringing together your flawed nature and his intruder or intrusion. Meaning when we were younger, we couldn't we we were not mature enough or strong enough to be able to handle uh, protecting our vulnerable spots, our blind spots. Right. So what he does is he tries to marry, no matter how old we are, our flawed nature with confusion, with 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 delusion, with deception. When those things have came together and had and got to know each other, the conception of sin was birthed. The the conception of 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 a wrong mindset was birthed. And from the birthing of that poor mindset or the birthing of those bad habits now begins to contribute to the growth of that sin, to contribute to the to the growth of that insecurity, to contribute to the growth of that thing. 
And then once that thing has been contributed to for a long period of time, now you by default begin to get into cycles because we're creatures of habit. We create cycles because we are habitual people. We are people of habit. So if he can conceive bad things into us at vulnerable points and, and birth insecurities and birth inadequacies and birth a, a low self-esteem or birth a overzealousness or whatever, and contributes that by keeping you away from God, then he can get you into habits that produces those cycles, cycles of offense, cycles of rejection. So all he has to do is if she can't process uh, her identity, if she don't know who she is in Christ, all I got to do is bring this guy into her life for six months, make him make him make her believe that he is there for her. And then I'm going to switch his mindset up and have him break up with her and deepen the abandonment, deepen the rejection and try to birth a greater cycle that keeps her from being free. So to help you is how to deal with offense is to number one, why am I offended? Simple as that. Why am I offended? Why did I, why am I, or why did I allow this to offend me? When you find out the why, you will be able to change the what. If you begin to say, man, this is, most of the stuff that we are offended by is stupid. Most of the things. Because a secure person ain't going, they don't have time to be offended. So what you have to do, Michelle, is to really look at who is overly influential in my life, what am I deeply insecure about? And because if you don't fix those things, you want to keep being offended or keep operating the fence. Because what I want to separate is in life, you're going to be offended. In life, people are going to offend you. When I, and it was great, man. I went to hoop today. It was teacher work day. And my wife was concerned. The last time I went to this gym and I balled out, I about lost my name. I about lost what I built up for so many years. And then I realized, Josh, why are you allowing yourself to be offended? Because on teacher work, they'll go to a specific gym that hoops at 10 o'clock or 1030. No knock on these fellas, but these fellas play ball at this time all the time. Now, there are some people that has just probably, you know, got money, but most of these people don't got jobs. And I was like, Josh, why are you allowing these guys who whine and complain about stuff get you out of you got a job to go to tomorrow? They don't got a job. I began to process, Josh, why? Then I had to realize, Josh, you're too competitive. You got to change your mindset. You can't, it's okay to be, it's okay to be competitive in sports, but you can't let that be your dominant personality. And I began to realize, and when I began, when I went to play ball today, the same guys there was wine and the same stuff was there, but I didn't allow them to offend me because my mind was set on that thing. And that's what you got to do. Renew your mind in the place where you find your security in Christ and you process every offense. Before the offense comes into your life, you process it. Then you begin to cast down that vain offense, that vain whatever, and process it out of your system. I take things personally. Don't take things personal because most people don't know how to be personable. Most people don't know how to handle personalities and persons, you know, so don't take things personal. And you have to ask yourself, why am I taking this personal? Hope to help. How to deal with offense, not take things personal, rejection in a proper way. How to take rejection in the proper way is realizing that rejection is your protection. You know what I'm saying? If they rejected you, that means they weren't meant for you. And that's when people reject me, glad. Thanks. Now I know who's with me, who's not with me. When people reject or don't see value in me, there's two things. There's two types of rejection. I always make this clear. 
There's two types of rejection. First rejection is they reject you because they don't know your value. The other rejection is if you apply for a job and they reject you, what you do is ask them, how can I get better? Some some rejection is, is for you to grow and learn. We're talking about in job. When it comes to people rejecting you, just because they don't want to deal with you, assess, adjust, advance, grow from it and all that. But I did promise Josh I'd get to him. I was trying to go 30 minutes. I was trying to go 30 minutes, but the Lord had another plan. Or maybe it was just me. Who knows? Josh says, hey, coach, I'm in college. The only reason that I said I was going to get to Josh because my man is in college. Coach got a heart for, for, for the youth, for those in college, and for, and for singles. I have heart for people in relationships and marriage. Too. Don't get me wrong. I have heart for people in relationships too. But I just got married. So I, I'm, I'm not going to act like I'm an expert in marriage. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> we, our wedding anniversary is this weekend. That's my rookie season. So I ain't trying to be all, you know, like an expert in something. I, I just got a year of, of experience. Hey, coach. Well, there are some things I learned in this. But, but another video for another day. Hey, coach. I'm in college and I feel like I keep thinking about who my wife is going to be and feel that I am idolizing relationships. How can I stop these distracting thoughts and focus? Also, coach. What's up, Tanisha? Also, coach. What are some tips on how to pray when you don't feel like it? <clears throat> Good questions. Josh, you have to realize and process, my brother. What's the main thing? <clears throat> I was in your shoes, man. You know, I was in your shoes. Oh man, I was a I was a lover, not a fighter. No, 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 no. Let me get that clear. I was a lover and a fighter. I'll give them hands if I had to. But I was more of a nice guy, loving guy. Now I, I never wanted to be in a relationship just to be in them. I always thought, oh, that this, uh, marriage, marriage, I, because I was a Christian. You know what I'm saying? I was like, man, I can't just date you to be date you. I was a person of purpose too. I was a person of strategy. So it was like, I'm not gonna waste my time. But but what I realized was. It was my idolatry that led me that way. I make it plain. <clears throat> All sins find their roots in idolatry. The real thing you have to process is why am I idolizing this? Do you not feel secure in yourself as an individual? You won't begin. You won't be able to bring stability and security in a woman if you're not secure in yourself as an individual. When I begin to find myself as an individual. I began to let God handle the relationship stuff because I realized that I have value to give in my singleness. What keeps you from being distracted about who your wife is, is by making sure that you a man or wife deserves. Meaning when I got that frame, of my, when I got that frame of mind in my mind, I began to say, Josh, realistically, you ain't ready, man. Josh, you ain't ready for no wife right now. So, Josh, you got growth to do. And since I was a hard worker, I was like, all right, bet. I'm going to try to get six to seven revenue streams. I'm going to try to get this lust thing out of my life. I'm going to work with God. I'm not, what I mean by me, I'm talking about I'm going to allow God to work these things out of me. And I'm going to work on my purpose because as a, as of now, I can't. Bruh, you in college, you have nothing to offer a wife right now. You have nothing but a good heart right now. You got to build yourself up. You got to build your credit. You got to build your name. You got to build your um, um, skill sets. You got to be able to understand what it requires to even be a husband. And at 21, at 22, at 23, or in your 20s, most people at that age don't know what it takes to do it. You have to be groomed. You have to go through modules. You got to go through tr various trials. You got to go through testings to be ready for that. Just desiring alone 
is not good. You got to marry with those desires, devotion and discipline. You can desire a wife, but what level is your devotion in God in? What level is your disciplines? When you begin to get into your disciplines and you fall into the reality that you're just not ready for a wife, then you prepare. You get ready, not for a wife, but for purpose. Purpose is what you should be striving for. Fulfillment is what you should be striving for. And then along the way, God will add to your purpose a wife. Or And then your wife and you will begin to have a complementary, cohesive purpose together. Focus on purpose right now. Find out who you are. And, and and give you and and do an honest analysis of yourself and real and look at yourself and be like you know what coach is right I am not ready for a wife my devotion with God is not good because I'm idolizing this idolatry cannot live just like cancer cells cannot live in an alkaline body uh, uh, idolatry and sin can't live cannot live in devotion to God it can't live. And so as you begin to devote yourself to God, your idolatry will subside because God has taken his rightful place. There's nothing wrong with desiring a wife. There's nothing wrong with desiring marriage. But you don't want to get to a place where you start making these false excuses that, well, I got these passions. No, the Holy Spirit will give you self-control. God, the Holy Spirit will give you self-control. So don't make an excuse of, well, I'm out here horny and I'm out here. I want to get my rocks off. Let me get married. That ain't going to work in marriage. It ain't going to work because all of a sudden, once you get the rocks off, that's still a woman. But you don't love that woman for who she is. You ain't going to know what intimacy is. All you do is just getting my lust off. You see what I'm saying? So idolatry cannot thrive in a, in a life that's in love with God, that's content with God, that's working with God, that's being creative with God. All that dies. So you got to deepen your devotion, become really honest with yourself and saying, I'm really, I really have nothing to offer a wife. And then disciplines will come in and then you'll focus on purpose. I found my wife along the way of fulfilling my purpose. Marriage cannot be your purpose. It's bigger than that. Marriage is a contributor to purpose. It ain't the purpose of life. Now, how do I, how can I stop these distracting thoughts and focus? <clears throat> I think I talked about that. Last question, I got to go. Also, coach, what are some tips on how to pray when you don't feel like it? Pray. Any What helps me pray no matter when I don't want to pray, that means some invisible entity, some demonic entity is trying to keep me away from talking to God. And if they're trying to keep me away from talking to God, then God must have something to talk to me about for my benefit. So anytime I feel that that and what you what you're feeling is demonic <clears throat> in most most situations is demonic. When, when you know, because they know when you desire, come on, man, we get off, we put off energy. So demonic spirits, they recognize when you are turning your focus back to God. So what they do is, uh-uh, over here, over here, look at me, distraction, distraction. Or they begin to say, they, they I, don't, I don't know what demons do. I can only give a vivid picture. They may lean on you and make it heavy for you, make it hard for you. Then all of a sudden your phone start ringing. Do you not think demons don't talk to your friends? Oh, let me call. Let me call Josh. They do it all the time. People be like, I wasn't even thinking about trying to call you, but I called you because I just you dropped him. No, no. A demon dropped your name in their heart so they can call you during prayer time. So they can call you when they see you getting focused. That's why you do this. When it's time, this type of prayer I'm talking about, when it's time for exclusive closed off prayer, turn your phone off, turn everything off, unplug the Wi-Fi box, turn everything off so there's no distractions. 
Then you begin to still your mind. How you still your mind is write down all the stuff that's in your mind. Write it on your mind. Get out your system. Write it, write it down. All your thoughts. So your mind can be still. Cut on some worship music. Um, I pray in the Holy Ghost. I pray in tongues. I do things to kind of still my mind and give God my undivided attention when it comes to that type of purifying prayer. That prayer where you're purified. You know, when it, it's not just on, it's not on the day, throughout the day prayer where you prayed 15 minutes in the morning, but you prayed possibly 40 or 45 minutes throughout the day. And you might've capped it with a, a 25 minute conversation with God at night. We're talking about those prayers where you just like, God, I'm prostrate. I'm here for you. The enemy don't want that because that builds you up. That strengthens you. So <clears throat> when you find it hardest to pray, pray your hardest. And you got about a 30 second window. You got 30 seconds. That 30 seconds will tell you, reveal to you your, your disciplines. What I mean by that is the devil ain't going, the demons ain't going to waste their time. They'll, they'll put their hardest efforts on you between 30 seconds and about two and a half minutes. 30 seconds, two and a half minutes, they're going to try to hit you with everything, distract you. If you can break that 30 second to two minute friction period with disciplines, They'll subside and you'll, bur I mean, it, it, it's almost like you pop the hole and the presence of God falls in because you passed the test. That's what they want to keep you from because something is trying to get to you and they want you to hinder it by changing your focus from that coming to you to focusing on something else. Hope they help, guys and <clears throat> gals. <clears throat> Great session, y'all. I love these. Um, Anything you want to know about me is on my website, imunplugged.com. Six books, two card games, two courses, a mentoring program if you want to support us financially there. Um, um, what else? Uh, T-shirts, one-on-one um, -on -one coaching. If you want you want to talk to me exclusively, send me your budget. Let me know what you can do, your days and times. We'll make it work. Iamunplugged.com. I love you all. Y'all be blessed. Have a great week. I'll probably get one more session in before the weekend. Um, and I'll see you guys next week. Got to celebrate my one year. I'm excited about it. Um, and um, I love y'all, man. I love y'all. I do. Um, we'll see y'all next time. Possibly tomorrow. Maybe Friday. But then coaches close for about four or five days. Love y'all. Y'all be blessed. I'll see y'all next time. Peace.